Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. I'm Tony, and today is episode 149 of the podcast, where I sit down with pastor, speaker, and author, Mike Ashcraft. Mike is a leader of a movement out of North Carolina, and his latest book, To Be Concluded, he talks about the importance of ending things. I love it. There were so many great nuggets. Um, one of the things he said that has just really resonated with me is, pick a point, draw a line. I love the idea. We dive into what it means, why it's important. I think you're really going to love this episode. And hey, if you do love it, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts, leave a rating or review on iTunes, and be sure to share this episode with a friend. That's the highest compliment you can give us. Now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Mike Ashcraft. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today to have author, speaker, and pastor Mike Ashcraft today. Mike, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, Tony. It's great to meet you and great to be with you today. So uh, appreciative of the opportunity to uh, just chat and talk and, uh, you know, and just enjoy one another's company and uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, give some, uh, you know, give some helpful ideas and conversation around the, the way of Jesus. Uh, so you're in North Carolina. How long have you lived there in North Carolina? Uh, I've been in North Carolina for 30, uh, almost 30 years. I moved here when I was 22 years old and uh, out of college. I'm wondering if you can settle something for me. Why do all the license plates in North Carolina say first in flight when clearly, <laughs> clearly the Wright brothers born in my hometown where I'm recording from right now, downtown Dayton, Ohio, clearly were the birthplace of aviation why why doesn't your license plate say just we had great wind? <laughs> Kitty Hawk, man. I know, right? We, it's so funny. I haven't heard that in so long because everybody who comes here from Ohio, they're like, what is this? Like we just claimed it, I guess. Well, um, I you know, we do appreciate your guys' wind. And um, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, all in all seriousness, I love North Carolina. We were there recently and it's beautiful and um now you you didn't start out as a pastor though that wasn't the original work that God had called you to. Um, can you tell us a little bit about w- what career you initially jumped into? Yeah, so um, I started off in architecture. I went to school, studied architecture, and wanted to be an architect really badly. And most of it, you know, it, it really was uh, I was running uh, because I kind of wanted to follow. You know, if I wanted to be a Christian, I wanted to follow Jesus on my terms. Mm. Uh, so I didn't want to really be in the ministry. And I thought if I could create a niche for myself doing things I wanted to do, I could offer God things and kind of create a compromise. Um, you know, and I know that more looking back over my journey than I did at 22 years old. But certainly um, that was a part of, of the journey was I just I knew that I wanted to follow Jesus on my terms, which is, you know, I don't, I don't think that's very uncommon. I think a lot of people <laughs> pursue that. I tried that this morning at least once. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a daily thing. <laughs> uh, I, I'm curious. You, you use the word compromise there. What do you? I think that there are probably a lot of people who wrestle with compromising with what God desires of them versus mm-hmm. what they're doing. What What happens when we compromise, or rather, when we try to compromise with God? Is Is it possible, or is it? Does that just take us to full blown disobedience? Wow, that's a good question. You know, um, I think God, you know, God kind of takes us as we are. He He honors the the level of faith that we have. 
you know, the way I would approach it rather than thinking of what it does to God is what it does to me. What I have mm-hmm. found, you know, personally that following him and the more I've entrusted him and I would, you know, even now there's, like you said, this, this morning, there's always that sort of tension, but the fullness and the life that Jesus has for me is far more rich and full and free than anything I could ever want for myself. And so I've learned to trust him and, uh, in, you know, imperfectly, and it's a continual journey. But I remember years ago, you know, I was just thinking about standing with a friend of mine and we were talking, we had both kind of taken very different journeys. And he said, Mike, you know, all the stuff that you've gotten to see and experience uh, and some of it's been really, really good. And some of it's been really, really hard. Sure. But, you know, he said, what, what would you like, you know, what have you learned? I said, you know, honestly, what I've learned is I would not trust me with myself. Mm. And because my, my, the things I envision for myself is, is what I thought that would be so full and fun and enjoyable um, would have never come close to what I've been able to experience in terms of just learning how to walk with Jesus and find, you know, what it means to bring the kingdom to bear on the world around us. And again, it's not without difficulty and struggle and pain and heartbreak, but, um, but it is definitely, you know, I found God to be incredibly faithful and the sense that I have in, in, inside of, of who I've become, um, you know, I just know, I know who I would be without him. And I'm really, really grateful. I love that idea. Um, not, not trust me with myself. I think that that, that's probably something that a lot of people are shaking their heads up and down to as they hear that. Um, I really believe in the, in the kind of the practical application of our faith. And one of the things that we say around here a lot is that if you're not dedicated to your disciplines, you'll be destroyed by your distractions. Mm. And so I'm curious, what are some of the things that you do on a regular basis, daily or weekly or whatever your rhythm is to, um, to keep God in the right place and keep you in the right place? Yeah. So that's a great question. So it's so, so interesting. I have some, uh, you know, you see the, uh, if you're, see this, you can see my whiteboard behind me. I've always struggled with, 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 uh, ADD and attention mm-hmm. and all that since I was a kid. And, um, you know, my mom was really good cause I would read something until I didn't understand it. And she would just, you know, she was a librarian. She would say, read it again. And so I just learned as a way of learning that I would have to read stuff multiple times and just okay. a slow processor. And as I got to my teenage years, um, in fact, my mom told me when I was, you know, talking about going to church, I said, mom, you know, the pastor's boring. And her solution was take notes. She said, because if you can learn from a, from someone who's boring, then you can really learn from anybody. So I started like taking notes. I, mean, I had a pen and a piece of paper with me. Most of the time I would, I would jot down things and try to take notes. And you know, I'm like teenager. So this is kind of weird. And I was taught by my youth minister to keep a journal. And so since about 15 years old, um, I've kept a journal and it was just what I thought, you know, I would read a verse and then write what I thought about it. Um, and I look back, I still have a lot of them and there's nothing profound. Some of it's really embarrassing. Um, some of it's dumb, but I also have in there, my own handwriting praying to, you know, to seek God's you know counsel on whether or not I should ask my girlfriend at the time to marry me. Mm. So I have those prayers in my own handwriting and I have, um, struggles with my, you know, with being a parent struggles with, you know, my job struggles with my temper struggles with thoughts. I mean, all these things are in my own handwriting over the years. And it wasn't, you know, I always joke, you know, I, I, I refer to it as a quiet time. I mean, that's kind of how we grew up here, yeah. but it's, it's really my own personal Lord. 
can I align myself with you today and surrender? And I, I read scripture and I reflect and I write down some things. And, you know, I always tell our congregation that um, it only took me 15 years for it to become like normal. <laughs> Um, and the, re the reality is, is most people just don't do stuff long enough for it sure. to become consistent. And um, so when I when I tell people that, and there's a, uh, I wrote a book years ago called My One Word. There's a whole chapter about journaling in there. And, my, and our church will tell you that I just badger everybody about keeping a journal because it is the discipline um, that has probably helped shape me more than anything else. And, and what I think is important about it is journaling isn't just keeping a record of what you think. But there are these kind of principles that I use. And one of them is that, you know, writing my thoughts down allows me to see what I'm thinking without being blinded by what I'm feeling. It allows me to honor the emotion of a moment, but it also allows me to process, you know, what, what we're commanded to do in Scripture, right, is to renew our thinking, to renew yeah. our mind. And so much of spiritual formation has to do with connecting the way we encounter Jesus in worship and it's shaping the way we view the world by our, by our, our thoughts. And there's a, you know, there, there's a mental aspect to it, but it, there's a spiritual aspect in there and there and a physical aspect and they're all connected um, in this, but it, it's very clear. You know, Paul says that we are transformed by the renewing of mm. our mind. And um, I've just tried to take that real seriously and um, do that consistently daily, you know, and so I'm, I'm, pretty stubborn about it. I always joke with our, our, you know, our, our church. I said, I know what kind of person I am. Um, if, if I'm not with Jesus and I, I don't want to risk being that person for anybody. Like I, he's formed me in ways that, um, I wouldn't trade for anything. Yeah. I really like the way you're convicting all of us who don't journal right now. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. So, uh, I, I struggle with journaling. I've got like, I use Evernote pretty uh, faithfully, and yep. so I'll I'll take yep. notes in my phone. You know, yep. like I there's a couple of um, incredible women of God who are prayer warriors that I work with, and they keep prayer journals. And I'm just like yep. leaving notes everywhere, and I'm not that organized. And so, if somebody's listening to this and they're like, I I want to become a journaler, but I'm not really sure how to start. Do you have any like give us some pro tips? Sure, sure. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a pro. That's the beauty. I'm, I'm not that organized. Organized either. Uh, I think what it is, it's not so much about keeping a catalog of everything you thought, as much as it is convincing yourself that you're going to slow down to listen. Oh, that you're good. not going to get looped into your brain. So when I pick up a even even like I use a pen and a piece of paper. A lot of times I use a felt tip pen because I can't write fast with it. So it just it it just slows. You know, my brain's fast. I think fast. I type fast, I, you know, so everything about it is like produce, get this stuff down. And so there's a, there's a time for that. I'll pull out Evernote and I'll just hack out everything I'm thinking about a particular issue. But when I'm trying to really like, Lord, what are you saying to me? Um, I pull out my pen and my, in a pay in my, in my journal and I, I write it down. There are times, you know, when I'll get up in the morning, I've been a pastor for, you know, for almost, you know, 25 you know, years, uh, 22 years in the same church. Um, you know, I read the Bible a lot. I love the scriptures. Um, but there are times when I wake up even today and I start reading the Bible and it's not fresh yeah. or it feels like drudgery or I can't focus or I can't slow down. So what I do is I'll pull out my, my pen and my piece of paper and I'll actually write out the text that I'm reading. I'll just write it out longhand and it just, it just makes everything kind of 
all the, you know, all the rats that come out and start gnawing and just kind of sort of settles all that down and allows me to say, okay, Lord, I, I'm, I'm available to hear from you. Uh, I'm av- and, and not only to hear from you, but just to be with you um, and to acknowledge that I trust you and that you have called me. All those things that we, you know, mm-hmm. just, we just, we lose sight of because we're going so fast and there's so much to do. Do you think that, um, so it f- feels like slowing down is a, is a key part of what God has impressed upon your heart kind of in this season, because yeah. in, in this latest resource to be concluded, um, it feels like there's an essence of, of slowing down. Is there a moment kind of in your story when God was like, um, okay, okay, Pastor Mike, you got to write this book, um, mostly I, it, it feels like you kind of wrote it for you, but for us, kind of like that real yeah. tension, you know, I, yeah. you even talk about in the intro about how, you know, some books write themselves. This one did not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, wh- wh- how, how did you know that you were called by God to to put this out into the world? So that's a really great question. Um, you know, I, years ago, um, I had my own kind of crisis of faith. Hmm. And it had to do with the gospel and it had to do with the gospel being sort of what happens to us when we die. And then you read the way of Jesus and the message of Jesus and how Jesus talked about his own gospel, that the kingdom is here and it's, it's, it's available. And, you know, it's not just about what happens to us when we die, but it's about what happens to us as we live. Yeah. And, you know, like you were saying earlier, you know, the application of the, of the gospel and the scriptures and our faith into the real world is really important. Um, and what I learned was that as a, as a pastor who is uh, starting a church, I was very insecure and um, I was nervous about what I would offer. So the, what I would do is I would quote a lot of other people and, um, you know, it kind of keeps like, well, at least if it's a bad sermon, it's, you know, it's that person's bad sermon. It's not Mike's bad sermon. Sure. Um, I'm just quoting this person. And, and it took me a long time to find my voice. Mm. And as I found my voice, you know, that's kind of what became uh, my own personal, um, what I would consider my personal purpose is to be a trusted voice uh, in the lives of people who God has granted me um, proximity with or influence or however you would say that. And so part of that became, um, you know, is writing a part of that because I'm not a writer um, by, by nature, you know, journaling and things that have been a part of my, my journey. But, you know, what I knew was that to offer something in that way was very vulnerable. It kind of speaks to all the insecurities that you, that, that well up so quickly. Um, and usually when I feel like I'm afraid to do something or something is hard rather than resisting it, I kind of leaned into it. And, and this book was actually beautiful for me because what it started with it turned into something different. It became sort of this theological layering of how, and it's not written like a, like it doesn't read like a theology book. No, no. Like right. book. But, but underneath that for my own journey was this layering of how the gospel has so shaped me and is shaping me and um, how, what Jesus did actually models for us um, the way in which we learn to be faithful in a moment, which, which, which requires us to not, you know, either hold, you know, live in the past or run too far ahead. So all that was kind of going on in mm. the writing of the book. So maybe that's the long answer to, you know, how did I know I was supposed to write this? I don't know that that was the moment as much as it was as I began writing this process unfolding. And I hope that comes across um, in the way uh, people interact with it and um, the message on the, on the pages. 
Yeah, one of the cool things about the book is that um, you you play a little bit of a visual game, which is hard to describe on a podcast. But you, you write to be continued, and then over it, you wrote concluded, right. and, and and then you kind of start off the book with this thought process on the Netflix lifestyle. Yeah, I'm wondering if you can kind of paint that picture. What is the Netflix um, lifestyle, and how has it uh, become? a real part of our lives. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, so, yeah. That was what's so interesting. The book opens with my first uh, Netflix binge, which was the this, this show Parenthood. Sure. And I, re- I remember so really, we, we were kind of late to the game. My wife and I, we had you know gotten Netflix and we, we watched, uh, you know, episode one. And at the very end of the episode, it was good. And at the very end of the episode, there's this little box that popped up at the bottom. It's like your, your show continues. And then it counts down five, mm. four, three. And the next thing, you know, we had watched like two whole seasons of this show. And, you know, I just remember going, oh my, and, and you could, you know, no commercials. It's just, it just goes from one thing to the next. And I, I began to think like, that's really what happens in our lives. We just sort of, it's just one constant continuation. You know, every, every day runs the next, every month, every year, and there's nothing that stops us. Mm. And eventually it just all catches up or piles up and either, either crushes us or it just keeps pushing us faster and faster into the future, trying to get somewhere other than where we are. And so that's, that's what happens. And what, you know, I talk about it just being this sort of chronic continuation. And the problem with that is, you know, people achieve great accomplishments. They, they accomplish a lot by being pushed forward. The problem is you don't actually ever find what God is actually, you know, the promise of redemption in, in it. Because redemption is when we get to bring things to a sense of closure and realize that they become usable to what God is doing and not something that's supposed to push us forward to accomplish more, but it's actually shaping who we are and how we live as his followers here in this world. So as I think about this concept, um, I think about some of the areas in my life that, um, that, I, that I don't know that I've closed very well, that mm-hmm. I've concluded well. Um, so I, I kind of have a twofold question. Is it, sh- should we go back and close them? I mean, like, sh- should we try to like wrap things up and put a bow on them in a nice way? Or is it more mental or do I even need, the, you know, other relationships to be a part of that? Or is this just something like, you know, I could spend some time in prayer and journal and close things out. Or like, um, if, if we're not used to closing things, one, how is important to close what was, and then what rhythms do we start to close? What could be? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think, I, and I think the answer to that would be yes, right? <laughs> um, you know, there are places where you could do it privately, right? Yeah. There are things that you know, uh, and I think, but I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of getting people involved. I think that one of the beautiful things about uh, the, the church and what, what, what Jesus established is a community for people to be in this with us. And, you know, especially we're living in a culture now where so many people have been uh, adversely affected by you know, childhood trauma and things that are that are serious. I think this has been going on, but it's definitely come to the forefront. And so, yeah, there are things that you people have been running from uh, for, for years. And those things may require a little bit more intensity to go, hey, let's let's deal with this and bring a, a, a sense of closure. And the reality is, is a conclusion isn't always a, a bow. It just says this is no longer going to hold the kind of authority in my life. Mm. That it is it has had for so long and instead is going to become a part of my story such that God uses it for his you know glory and for his purposes in the world that's you know redemption 
is not clean or neat. You know, we have this idea that it's like a jigsaw puzzle and we go, oh, I'll understand how this fits into my life. It'll fit in this puzzle piece. And it, it just isn't like that. Um, you think about the exodus and slavery of the Egyptian of the Israelites in Egypt and the, the plight of Joseph grinding over his whole life to bring him to a place where God would redeem or provide for his people. You know, and you, the scriptures are full of this, 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 this long approach to how God operates in our world. And redemption, you know, isn't about solving all the problems, but rather making sure that God's purposes um, are seen and and known in, in His redemptive promise for His future. That His that there's always a purpose. His purposes are never thwarted by our circumstances. That we will be His people. He will be our God, and that we'll bring His kingdom to bear um, consistently, uh, and you know, empowered by His Spirit over over time. That's so good. I, I really like and appreciate the way that you talk about it being messy because I I think that that's like things can be concluded and messy. And I think that gives grace for both good things and bad things, right? Yes. Because we can, I mean, like yeah. there, are, there are probably some really good things in my life that need to be concluded. And there are probably yeah. some really bad things in my life that need to be concluded. And they're both, right. they're both okay, right? Yeah, there's a story in the book about, uh, I went to, I'm a big 80s rock fan. So I grew up in the 80s. I know mm. everybody would be jealous uh, that you didn't, that they didn't get to grow up in the 80s, but I did. And I, I went to a concert, I took my nephew about five years ago, four years ago. We went to see uh, Def Leppard and Journey. And man, yeah, there was this guy there and like, he literally like mullet, the dress, <laughs> and he looked That's like, but, it, but the problem was he, was he looked just like me in high school, except he was like 45 years old. Yeah. And I, I remember just, you know, the, the story is basically like this guy has, has never, you know, and it looks kind of, I mean, it's cool, but it looks kind of ridiculous to be 40 and still looking like you're, you know, like you're still stuck in the 80s. Because you never, you know, you, it's like you you had this success and you were afraid to let it go, so you just hold on to it. And even like as a as a as a pastor, as a as pastor of a church, you know, we had an incredible beginning in our church. A lot of people, you know, have these stories, all the things that God did. And what happens is we end up telling these stories about what God did five years ago, ten years ago, mm. and we sort of forget that hey, He did stuff last week, and like, you know, and and the reason those stories are are powerful and exciting is because of the uncertainty and the fear and all the angst that went in those stories. And then once we get comfortable and figure things out, we hold on to those things and we stop moving into places that cause us to be uncomfortable or cause us to be uncertain, which, which is the essence of what faith you know, is, is to move into places where we don't know hmm. how things are going to be and to trust him. Uh, and I think that's what I found with so many people that get comfortable in their faith and God is sort of, oh, here's how God works. He's predictable and he blesses this and he does that. And we get this system where if I do this, then God will do that. And we stop following him and trusting him and looking for what he's doing right in front of us. And it's because we're either holding on to things or we're running. For, you know, that it's that faithfulness in the moment to see and sense what's happening in front of us. Yeah. One of the things you talk about in the in the book is um, is one of my favorite sentences is the deception of spiritual winning streaks. And, <laughs> uh, and maybe it's, that makes just, me so happy. 
that resonated with you. Well, maybe it's just because I felt like you were stepping on my particular tip. So I'm a Bible. I use the Bible app. Uh, I I always want to be the guy that has that paper paper Bible that is like full of notes and like you know I I've met tons of spiritual giants who have had that stuff. But I'm like highlighting stuff in my U version Bible app and. And they keep track of the number of days that you yep. do it in a row. <laughs> and uh, I have an addictive personality. It's one of the things about my life that I know. And one day I, I looked down and I realized that um, I was almost at three years of doing the Bible every day. Um, Whoa. Yeah, it was great. I was super. I wish yep. I could tell you, but it, it was just because like, hey, this is what I have to do. This is what I have to do. This sure. is what I have to do. And then I, I, I got convicted by the spirit and was like, Okay, on on three years and day one, I'm I'm gonna miss the day on purpose. <laughs> it was so hard. <laughs> yeah, but you and, know what though? That's like that is that is such a beautiful picture of this concept. Yeah, because like the, I mean, really, is like, is it a good thing that you read your Bible for three years? Of course it is. If you measure your spiritual formation by that then we have a problem. Like obviously God did other things, but, but what you did that's to me so cool is you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to bring this to a conclusion and for the specific purpose of beginning something new. And I think it can be literally as, you know, I, I was, I want to say menial because three years is a big deal to break a three year streak is a big deal. But you know, um, I, I think I was, a lot, there was a lot of, people, of sweating on my part that day. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the best things I have heard. Uh, how, how does hope come out of conclusion? Because hope is a really big theme in in your writing and, and with this idea yep. and um, hope and endurance. Like I, I have a bunch of notes and I was like, hope, endurance, conclusion. I'm like, but this is how does hope kind of uh, feels like it's almost impregnated by conclusion? Yeah. And that, that was kind of a surprise for me when I started the, when I started writing the book, it was really about this discipline of kind of bringing things to a close. But as I began to think, and even like when, you know, what happened was when the pandemic began uh, and we knew that it was kind of, okay, this is going to be a big deal. Um, what you heard was everybody saying, we want to go back to normal. Mm. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure that that feels like we're wasting something. And I started just kind of immersing myself in Romans 8, you know, that cre that creation is subjected to futility. Yeah. Uh, and then he says in there, this one statement, he says, um, I think it's like patience um, uh, looks like hope. Hmm. It's just real kind of real right in the middle there. And I, I just kind of reflected on that. And I began to realize that, you know, we talk about hope a lot. But hope, and it's like it's like the same thing with faith. You know, hope fundamentally requires uncertainty, and that's exactly what Paul's saying. He goes, "You don't you don't hope for what you already have. You know, you don't hope that yesterday was a good day because you already know it to be so." And and the greater the uncertainty, the deeper the longing for hope. Mm. And so what conclusions do is they put us in a place, you know, the whole point of the conclusion the way it's defined is it's an intentional point in time that either is created for me or that I create for myself that allows me to gain perspective that provides space to see something. And usually when we get unsettled on something, especially as, um, you know, Westerners and, and kind of type A, you know, culture, whenever we get unsettled, we just do something about it. We, our, our mode is activity. And 
solve it, fix it, get it behind us. And what this allows us to do is go, Lord, can we see something in there? And then, and then the, the greater the uncertainty to allow the depth of hope to actually take root and find its foundation in something that can actually support the longing that we have, which, which is, you know, what Jesus has promised to us. And it's to get that bedrock there. And then we say, Lord, now, I can, now I'm positioned to walk with you and to walk on what you have said and what you have promised and not just trying to calculate how this is going to turn out to my advantage. Hmm. <clears throat> and it, it's, it's, hey, you know, what we found in, in kind of practice, even through the, um, through the pandemic is it takes tremendous, um, you know, endurance, steadiness, not to run ahead, not to, um, you know, try to solve things that are, that are temporary and really let the process go through. Because what we, what we discovered on the other side of this through the journey was so much richer than just getting out of it in that moment to make us feel better um, and get on with what we want to do. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. I, I really like the idea about the, the perspective and um, how it how it really begins to shift and change yeah. things. I, I do hope and pray that someday we'll have that conclusion moment on this pandemic because it, oh, it, fe- it feels yeah. like we came in it very, tr- you know, very uh, abruptly, you know, March, March 12th. I, you know, we remember yep. everybody's making decisions about their church and, you know, everything else. And this was just going to be two weeks off of school. And then, um, and now all of a sudden we're not wearing masks anymore. And, you know, all politics aside, like it feels like, okay, well, we're just going to push that off to the side, but there was a lot of pain yep. and suffering in that. Do, do you, do you have Lots. any insights on if somebody's listening to this and they feel like their life has just been wrecked by this pandemic and, and now the world feels like it's moving on, but the pain and the, 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 the hurt is still there. How do we, how do we get conclusion on something like that? That's not really ours. Yeah. And I think too, it's interesting. One of my friends said this story that they had this vision of when the pandemic was over, there's going to be like this parade, you know, mm. like, like this, this, this event, the season is over. We declared over and now we're going to have like a victory day. And, but it just kind of, it didn't really end. It just kind of dissolved, you know, just kind of faded out. Yeah, just or like fizzled out. Right. Yeah. Fizzled. And so it doesn't give us a, a place. It's not like um, a hard finish, a finish line of sorts. And so what I think we have to do is to actually create one. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things in the book, it just says, pick a point, draw a line. Um, you know, I remember like when I was doing, like, you know, there's some projects or seasons that you're not going to be able to get through in one breath. And so you've got to like stop, come up, take a breath, take a rest. Um, you know, you know, we say pick a point, you know, draw a line, pick a, uh, pick a point, draw a line and go, okay, this is a line of finish. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop here and see what I can see from here. Mm. trusting that there's still lots of things in front of me that I don't yet know, but there are things behind me that I have seen and learned from and trying to see where has God been faithful and what is he teaching me and how is he shaping me and where are my doubts and fears and where has my faith been? You know, both of those things are required. Um, You know, one of the things that happens to us again, and that's part of the reason we pick these points, it it creates a sense of uncertainty um, because we don't know what's going to be next. And one of the things that, that we've learned, I think we all can relate to this, is that, you know, the familiar um, is far more appealing. Uh, that's why I talk about the 80s, right? It's like it's nostalgic. It was when everything was OK. Yeah. But it was there was just as much chaos then as there is today. Right. It was sure. just crazy. Um, but it just feels better because I've been through it. It's, there's a familiarity to it. 
And, you know, um, you know, what, what we said is, you know, that familiar, familiar misery is often more appealing than, than the uncertainty of, you know, uncertain hope even. And so we always long to go back. We just find ourselves drawn, go back to normal, go back to the way things were. When you pick a point and draw a line, it allows you to acknowledge both the things that you still have doubts and fears about, but also to really look and say, Lord, you know, you have been faithful. Can you show me where and begin to record those things and consider those things? And then at that point, you're able to say, okay, now how can I be faithful in this moment? You know, one of the things that happened to me was as, as uh the church was growing and I remember driving up and I, you know, the church had been so fast for so long. And when I, when I got to um, the church, I realized it was big and there was all this stuff going on. I realized I don't have any idea what to do next. Wow. Like, you know, I, I, I just was over. I don't know what to do next. And what I wanted to do was run away and go do something else. And instead I just had to draw a line and say, Lord, I don't know what to do next. And I, I started asking him what, what I realized was that the call wasn't to figure out what to do 10 years from now, but the call was to be faithful in this moment. And what it is, it took all the pressure off to solve every problem we were facing mm. and just to say, Lord, what's in front of me today. And I can, and what I found was, as I did that day in and day out, it was that pick a point, you know, draw a line. Yeah. It allowed me to celebrate what had happened in the past to address the things that I was frustrated with in the past but to sort of give me enough buffer to be able to say, okay, I don't have to get to the future yet. Um, but what I, what I can do is be faithful to you today. And it was that season that unfolded. And it was about a two and a half year, three year run hmm. to start to develop vision for what was ahead of me. And I'm a, I'm a future guy. So that was a big deal for me not to have that. And I felt like I was letting our staff down. I felt like I was letting our church down because here I'm the visionary leader and I don't know, I did not know what to do. And the most tempting thing was to keep doing what we've always done. Yeah. And that's the kiss of death. But that's what happens in our lives. We get into our thirties and forties and fifties and we're like, well, I just got to keep doing what I've always done. And it's not that you have, you know, you're not, I'm not talking about midlife crisis, leave your family. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about acknowledging some things and then resolve to be faithful, trusting that God still has purpose for our lives beyond just doing what we've always done. And you find freshness in your relationships, mm. freshness in the seasons that are ahead, a sense of freshness in, in the hard things. And I think that is, you know, that that is the message of the gospel is that our circumstances do not hold the power to determine who we are and the peace and the joy that has been made available to us in, in Christ. And it's just, it's, it's just not, um, you don't, you don't experience that uh, by doing what you've always done. Yeah. That's so good. Um, I, you know, pick a point, draw a line is, is a revolutionary thought process if people really let it sink in. So I I hope, I, I really hope people hear that. Um, there's one more thing in the book I want to ask you about. Sure. Um, specifically, I, I love to read dedication pages. <laughs> um, and so you dedicated the book to your parents and to your yep. in-laws. Yep. And then, uh, and, and then the last chapter of the book, the epilogue is all about your father-in-law, Mr. Yep. Austin. And it's Mr. a, Austin. it's a, it's a moving, it's a moving dedication. 
Um, and, and I'm going to let people pick up a copy of the book and read it. I'm, I'm not going to ask you to talk about uh, Mr. Austin. I'll let people just read about that. The, right. the question I wanted to ask is, um, is why did you end the book with Mr. Austin? <laughs> Without tipping my hat too much. Um, Mr. Austin, uh, because he, he, he lived it out. Yeah. Like he had so many things that happened to him along the way that, that anyone else would have quit, given up, taken advantage, um, held and protected and refused to ever be hurt or bothered or disappointed again. Mm. And he, at the end of his life at 81 years old, was still just as excited about what a day held for him. Yeah. Like today is a new day and God's mercies are available and I'm going to walk in them. And, you know, I look back and, and he, he had been through things that were so much more difficult than anything I've ever experienced. That would have, that, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know because I've been through it, but you know, I think they could have crushed me Mm. and made me so cynical and so protective from ever trusting anybody again. And yet he, and even, and even trusting God again. Yeah. And yet he just continued to wake up with this sense that, hey, today is is a new day. God's mercies are here and I'm going to walk in them. And he had, you know, at 81 years old, had tremendous vision um, for the future. And it was because he was faithful with yeah. that particular day. And so without giving the whole story, sure, that's yeah. the best I can do. But no, that's that's perfect. why. And when I, I was sitting, um, thinking about how to end the book, I was like, Cause you know, I didn't know, I didn't know what the end was like. And I'm like, yeah, I was just sitting there on the, on the back porch, uh, thinking that's, I was like, it's kind of funny that you don't know how to end a end. book on conclusions. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew, right? I love it. <clears throat> Touche. And so you were sitting on the back porch and it just kind of came to you, huh? Yeah. It just, it literally, I was just sitting there with Julius. My wife was sitting next to me and I just started, you know, I was like, this, this is the end. Yeah. And, um, and, and I, you know, I knew it. His, the, he picked. He always picked a word too, and his his final word was was fruitful. And I think I share this in the book that you know he tells me about this, and is like you know this you know uh, a man will bear fruit in his old age. Mm-hmm. And and like I said, it was literally he wasn't like trying to make himself feel better about being old. He literally believed that he was going to continue to be fruitful, and it was as exciting and as genuine. Um, and that's why he was probably one of the most authentic. Um, genuine, faithful people um, I've ever met. And to have him as a father-in-law, um, I just, it's a, it's a huge privilege. Yeah. What a gift. What a gift. I got a great father-in-law too, and I, I'd be lost without him. So I'm thankful. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I have one final question and it's an a, advice question. We'll get to it in just a second. Before I do that, I know that my yeah. listeners, my, are going to want to follow you all over the interwebs. Where is the best place to learn <laughs> All about Pastor Mike and what you're doing and what God's doing through you. So uh, Instagram is where I'm typically the most active. Uh, but if you want like the real scoop, we Julie and I are kind of old school. We have the Mike Julie Ashcraft Facebook page. Yes, Julie, Julie but it's both of us together. So if you want to know what's really going on, if you follow me on Facebook, you're going to get Julie's perspective <laughs> uh, of everything. And uh, so both of those, but Facebook and Instagram, Mike Julie Ashcraft on Facebook and Instagram uh, is just Mike Ashcraft, and I'm I'm on both those places and try to keep up. Um, you know, 
uh, with them and, and, and follow people as well. Cause it helps me know, you know, what's happening in other parts of, you know, the body of Christ and around the world. Do you, um, is there a place where you're putting out regular content? Uh, Right. I mean, I, I think I saw maybe the beginnings of a podcast we or a th- thought of it. Yeah, we do. We have a podcast that we just started with my son-in-law called Just Think. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, we're about, I think, 10 or 11 episodes into that. And then we have um, on our website at the church, Port City Church, uh, portcity.church. Um, we have um, all of our messages and a lot of um, writings and such come from, from there. Love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, okay, last question. I always love to ask people. It's an advice question, okay. uh, and I'm going to ask you to give yourself one piece of advice. Except um, I get to take you back to a very specific time in your life. <laughs> oh wow! And so um, I want to take you back to the the Sunday afternoon after your very first service at Port City. And so it's it's Sunday morning. You've just planted this church. Um, and you're looking at a younger version of yourself, a young man, uh, sitting there full of, of hope of all that it is to come. If you could, uh, take that young man and sit knee to knee with him, look him in the eyes. What's the one piece of advice you're going to give him? Wow. Um, not to be trite, Hmm. but I, I would say. Um, you, God is faithful. Yeah. Like you, you're, you, you cannot be afraid or deterred because things don't work out like you thought or your plans, um, fall through, or even because you don't do things completely right. Mm. Um, that God is so unbelievably faithful and you've got to stay connected to him and follow him and draw strength from him and life from him at all cost. Hmm. Um, and I feel like starting a church, we started, you know, you bring me that, to that very moment. I remember, you know, I've seen a lot of people go to the conferences and they come out thinking, oh, I know what I'm doing yeah, and we're going to blow this up. We came out of those very different. We came out of those like, we, God, we think you're doing something. We have no idea um, mm-hmm. exactly what it is or how to do it. We need all the help we can get. And, and, and it was that sense of dependency that I think has, and some of it is just because my own journey. I was just in, I was, I've always been so insecure in my own, like just as a teenager. My, so, so you learn very early um, that dependency is, is, um, uh, is critical. Yeah. And that, so that, so it sounds trite, but it is, God is so unbelievably faithful. If we will trust him. Hmm. Um, and he's, his faith isn't contingent on our trust, but we experience his faithfulness. You know, if we're willing to trust him, like really trust him with everything, with our thoughts, with, with the deep parts of us. Um, and, and the other thing I guess I would say is, the most important thing, uh, I guess it's two things, um, isn't, isn't in any of the big things that you think you're going to do for God, but it is in being incredibly faithful in the thousands of small things that he asks of us every single day. Yeah. And if you do those things faithfully, everything else will take care of itself. 
That's so good. So good. I uh, love it. Mike, thank you so much for your generosity of time and for your vulnerability and for uh, putting your heart mm-hmm. out there in the world. I'm, I'm really praying, and I'm sure all of our listeners are joining me in that prayer, that uh, God uses this book to really help um, clean up some of the rough parts, rough parts of people's lives and yeah. give them a little extra bit of hope. So thank you. Man, thank you so much. What, what an honor to be with you today. I'm so grateful that you would uh, be able to share this message uh, with your listeners, and I'm, I'm honored to be a part. Man, I told you guys, what a great conversation with Mike. I think his heart is spot on, and I love the way he talks about conclusions. I also talk the, love the way that he talks about hope and how patience is hope and so many good nuggets here. Hey, do me a favor. Share this episode with a friend, and be sure to check out all of our episodes by subscribing. You don't want to miss one. Thank you guys so much. And remember, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.